Well, good morning. It's good to uh, see you again. We've been thinking together a little bit about how the gospel really does change our lives. And last week we thought about how radical God's forgiveness of us really is and how it changes us when, as Jesus said, we forgive others the way that God has forgiven us. Not just forgive in kind of uh, our human sense, but when we think about how God has forgiven us, past, present, future, at great sacrifice to himself, and so on. And when we're willing to do that to the next person, we represent God into their lives, and it changes us. It frees us uh, from other people's offenses, and so on. So this morning, I'd like to kind of continue in that vein a little bit, um, just thinking about what happens to us when we do, as Paul says, and embrace the gospel as first importance as the most important thing in our life. And remember, we talked about the gospel actually controlling us and having first say and and, uh, uh, dictating, if you will, our first actions. And, uh, you know, one time the Apostle Paul was talking about his own people, the Jewish people, in Romans chapter 9, and he said, you know, uh, I bear witness to them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Paul was saying, you know, my people, the Jewish people, have a zeal for God. They have a passion for God, but not informed by the gospel. And uh, Paul recognized that, you know, as a huge problem and uh, spent a good deal of his life trying to correct that. And I want to suggest to you this morning, you know, that um, we all grow up with ideas about God. And uh, we get these ideas from our parents, you know. We get these ideas maybe from our grandparents and so forth. We uh, perhaps grew up in a church and we had Sunday school teachers who implanted ideas about God in our minds or even teachers in the secular school system, you know, when we were younger and so forth. And we have uh, different uh, professors in college. We have different traditions. Uh, Maybe some of us grew up in different churches, and, um, you know, we've gotten ideas uh, about God and and how he is. And you might remember in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter, the Apostle Paul um, talked about himself here, and he he said, you know what, when when I was a child, right, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I, I talked like a child, I spoke like a child, and you know what, I thought like a child, And I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put away those childish things. In other words, Paul says, you know, I graduated to a new level in my understanding of God through the gospel. Um, You remember the Apostle Paul, you know, he grew up as a Pharisee, one of the strictest uh, sects of of Judaism, and he had very distorted ideas Uh, about God. And then one day, the Lord himself shows up on the road to Damascus, right, to meet Paul personally. Changed his entire life from that point on. Meeting the Lord personally changed Paul's entire life. You can read about it in Acts uh, chapter 9. But uh, everything changed. I mean, Paul even changed his name from Saul to Paul. Uh, After he met Jesus and encountered the gospel, he went away to Arabia, the Bible tells us, and took some time, probably a couple of years, and uh, restudied scripture, probably, especially those portions that had to do with, um, you know, uh, predicting the Messiah from the Old Testament. And uh, for Paul to come to convince himself that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. And so I want to suggest this morning that part of growing up spiritually uh, involves this process 
of uh, putting away childish ideas about God and allowing God to reveal himself to us uh, in an ongoing progressive way as we mature and grow through our lives. And I want to suggest that one of the marks of actually doing that is that when we start to evaluate life through God's eyes rather than evaluate God through life's experiences. When we start to evaluate life through God's eyes rather than us evaluating God on the basis of life's experiences. And, uh, you know, Paul's not the only one. I mean, all through the Bible, we have different people who kind of had to give up childish ways of thinking about God and graduate to uh, more mature uh, thinking informed by God's revelation of himself. You might remember uh, the book of Jonah. Jonah is a, a short book. You remember the story of Jonah and the great fish and so forth. And God said to Jonah, you know, I'm going to send you to Nineveh, uh, Israel's arch enemy, uh, really evil people. Um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you there to preach to them. And here's what I want you to tell them. 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And uh, you know Jonah's story, right? And so Jonah goes to Nineveh, and Jonah preaches 40 days, and you're going to be destroyed. And the people, wonder of wonders, they listened to his sermon, right? So they paid attention. So they repented. And so God relented of uh, punishing uh, Nineveh and destroying them and so forth. And now Jonah's really ticked. He's got an idea about God and how he should be, but God didn't do what he thought he should do. And so in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah prays to the Lord, and he says, Oh, Lord, isn't this exactly what I told you when I was yet in my country? And that's why I ran away to Tarshish, right? Um, Because I know, and John read this for us from Exodus this morning, for I know that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I knew you were going to do this. Really ticks me off. You know? And so uh, God answers Jonah in the fourth verse and says, Do you do well to be angry at me because I'm gracious? Wasn't I gracious to you when you prayed to me from the belly of the fish? Didn't I give you a second chance? Didn't I give you a chance to repent? And now you're mad at me because I do. Grow up, Jonah. I'm bigger than you think. You know? I'm bigger than you think. And uh, not only Jonah, but there's, uh, there's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Asap, and he was a descendant of Levi, and so they worked in the temple. And uh, he was the lead singer. He was a musician. And in Psalm 73, um, here's what he says. Uh, this is a great psalm. Truly God is good to Israel, he says. Now I know in my head God is good to Israel. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's looking around and he's saying, you know what? I'm, I'm being good. I'm a temple worker. I'm serving God. But I look around and everybody else is ahead of me. You know, I'm driving a Honda Civic here back and forth to the temple. And everybody else is, you know, driving Suburbans and so on and so forth, right? And, and so he, he goes on here, he says, uh, verse 12, he says, Behold, these, these are the wicked, they're always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. 
This thing about living for God and being right with God and everything, it really doesn't pay. That's what this guy's thinking. And he's like, you know, on staff at the temple. For all day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. And then he says, it kind of starts to come to the sense, he said, boy, if I had to talk like this to the young people of my day, I would have betrayed a whole generation of your kids. Because why? You know? And uh, so what happens? He, he gets his uh, horizons expanded. He goes to church, right? And says, uh, verse 16, but when I thought about how to understand all this, when I was trying to put it together and figure out why life is like this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It was really hard to put it together until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. In other words, all of a sudden he went from just thinking about life in its temporary you know, limitations to thinking about life eternal. Kind of like Easter does to us, right? Comes to us and says, listen, don't think of your life as just the first hundred years. Think of your life as eternity and put the experiences that happen in the first hundred years into a perspective or a backdrop or a, a background. You know, in, in most pictures, there's a foreground and a background. And the background is the big picture, right? And it's how do we attach the little story of our life in the foreground to the big story of what God's doing in eternity, you know, in the background. And so he says, you know, uh, I, I went to church, he says, you know. And, and uh, then he says, when my soul was embittered, when I was uh, pricked in heart, uh, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. Nonetheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll receive me into glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire uh, besides you or more than you. Uh, Asap, you know, almost allowed his emotions to overcome his faith, right? Because why? Because he was looking around and he was thinking about himself just in the context of this life. And God expanded his horizons. God, if you will, grew him up or graduated him to the next level of understanding. Or what about Mary and Martha? You remember their story? They had a brother named Lazarus and Lazarus uh, died, you remember? And, um, you know, Jesus comes, he comes, he purposely waits and until he had died, and then Jesus comes, and uh, what do the two girls say? They're like, you know, uh, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you had just been here, haven't we all thought like that? And Jesus said, no, uh, Lazarus' death is for God's glory. There's a higher purpose. There's a, what's happening in the foreground is connected to the background. This is for God's purposes, for God's glory. And uh, Jesus comes there and he says, you know, uh, I'm, I'm more than just a healer. I'm more than just a miracle worker. Uh, he says here in uh, John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never really die. Remember we said in the 23rd Psalm that when we come to the end of our life, it's like walking through a valley. It's not like a destination. It's like a walk. It's like a journey. It's like going from one life to the next. And here's Jesus saying, hey, I'm more than a healer. I'm the resurrection and eternal life. You know, and if you trust me. And uh, so Mary and Martha, you know, all of a sudden their faith is upgraded to a new level, right? All of a sudden, you know, Jesus goes and, calls Lazarus out of his tomb, 
And there he is. And all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is somebody way more than just a healer. If only, if only you had been here. No, he's more than that. I'm reminded of this little uh, five-year-old kid who was sitting at the kitchen table. And uh, he was totally absorbed in coloring a picture with his crayons. And his mom uh, walked through the kitchen and she said, what are you doing? And uh, he says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And so she says to him, honey, um, you know, nobody really knows what God looks like. A little kid without missing a beat says, well, they will when I'm done, you know, kind of thing, right? And I'm thinking, you know, since Jesus came, he gave us a real picture of God that sometimes contradicts the picture we grew up with. And it's not until we meet Jesus personally, like the Apostle Paul himself, and uh, the Lord comes to us and enables us to see the truth about God and, and what he's really like. When Jesus uh, showed up, you know, um, a couple thousand years ago when, when Jesus came, he helped us to understand what the Father is really like, what God is really like. And when Jesus showed up, he said this. He said, God is your Father. Our, we just said it. We just prayed it. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, do you think of, you know, what's your concept of God? What's my, when I think about God, when I think about coming to church and worshiping God, what, what comes into our mind? What's he like? What does he value? What's important to him? What has he done? You know, what has he promised? What's he like? What's, a, what's this father really like? Our father which art in heaven. Um, the New Testament revelation of God is that of a father. A father. And, uh, when we think about this, uh, it's the most common designation in the New Testament. And uh, since we know God through Jesus, his sonship becomes the relationship in which we stand. All over the New Testament, a Christian is a person who is in Christ, right? We stand in Christ. We stand in that same relationship that Jesus has with the Father is where we stand. That's our position. And not only that, but God has also put his spirit into our spirit. He's put his spirit into our spirit, and his purpose, one of his purposes in this life is to remake us in the likeness of Christ, to uh, nudge us, if you will, closer and closer to be more and more uh, like Jesus. And so we know uh, God, we know God only through Jesus, and we stand in him. And uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul says, you know, this is uh, really very personal, uh, but in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, beginning at verse uh, 14, it says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'm sure you know the word Abba really means, uh, probably the best translation is Daddy. And if you think about a child and their dad, you know, uh, we've been to Israel uh, a couple of times and all the little kids run around, you know, yelling for Abba, 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 you know. And it's, uh, this is the kind of relationship God invites us into. Call me dad. Get to know me as a father. Get to know me as your dad. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also someday be glorified with him. We are the children. Who are you? Who is, 
Who are we? What's our identity? We're the children of God. Uh, Second Peter, uh, Peter talks about this and takes it even a step further. He says, we as Christians are partakers of the divine nature. God's very nature. We, who are you? I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Now, I think this is kind of significant because so many people struggle with the issue of identity today. So many people, if you watch the news, are trying to establish identity on the basis of race or skin color or nationality or political party, right, or gender. Um, And God desires and offers us in the gospel the opportunity to actually be, as our primary identity, sons and daughters of the living God. We might have secondary identities, you know, of all different uh, flavors and nature and all of that. But our prime identity that God offers us is as a son. Who are you? I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the living God. And I think we need to be a little bit careful because so often our concept of a father is influenced uh, more by our earthly fathers than by the gospel and by Jesus and what he teaches us through the gospel about how to relate to our heavenly father. And uh, that can be tricky because uh, every earthly father is way less than our heavenly father is. Every earthly father, everybody, you know, all of our dads are way less uh, than what our heavenly father is. Our heavenly father is perfect. Our heavenly father has no limitations. Our heavenly father is infinite and we are not. And so some of us grew up with dads who are, you know, distant, right? Uh, They just weren't around much or whatever. Uh, God is not like that. Some of us grew up with uh, a dad that maybe was quiet, especially if he was married to a chatty wife, right? (laughs) You know, God's not like that. God's not silent. God is a speaking God. Anytime you want to have a conversation with God, you can go to his word and by his spirit, God will speak to you. I, I... I hope that, you know, uh, we have a devotional time every day and we open the word and we invite God to speak to us through his word, and he does. Um, Some of us maybe grew up with a dad who's a perfectionist, and uh, we could just never do enough right. We just could never please him, you know? And again, uh, God isn't like that. The 103rd Psalm says that God remembers that we're made out of dust. He's not expecting perfection. He knows us. Some of us grew up with dads maybe who were angry and we were always afraid because God or our dads would change. We'd never know what we were coming home to. And in the scriptures we read through the gospel that God was angry at one time, but he took his anger out on Jesus instead of us so that we don't have to worry about God being angry at us anymore. He took all of his anger and vented it on the cross. Uh, Some of us grew up with dads that were absent. Maybe there was a divorce or maybe there was a war and you lost your dad uh, in that way. And our God is present. He's not absent and so on. You know, uh, some of us grew up with dads that are uh, unforgiving, always bringing up past failures, right? And uh, God's not like that. God removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far, right? And so, and some of us grew up with godly dads, Uh, Dads that were uh, marked with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and all of those fruits of the spirit that the scriptures talk about uh, that mark the lives of the people that God inhabits. So 
how does the gospel help us to understand God? I want to suggest just uh, four uh, different ways. Well, um, first of all, I would say this. The gospel teaches me that our God, our Father, will go to any length. He will stop at nothing in order to have me as his daughter or his son. He will stop at nothing. And uh, you can read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, and then 17 to 19, where God talks about how he desires us to be close. I'm going to kind of move a little fast here because we're out of time. But Romans 5.8 says that Christ died for us while we were still sinful. Uh, Romans chapter 8, and verse 32 says, if God would not keep back his son to have us, do you think that God would withhold any good thing from us? So first thing, I think God will go to any length to have us as his kids. Second thing, I would say to you that God's love is personal. I was going to go to the 139th. In fact, let's do that. The 139th Psalm. Uh, You're probably familiar with this, but uh, let me just read some verses here. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and... uh, my lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Do you believe that? Do you believe that before a word comes out of your mouth, God knows what you're going to say, that he knows you that well? You know, and he goes on here, he says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Listen to this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before we even were a thought, God had a life planned out for us. Do you believe that's true for you? What does that do to your relationship to your heavenly father? How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would try to count up all the thought that went into making my life, there are more than the sand on the seashore. I awake and I'm still with you. You know what's cool about this? Uh, God's love is personal. Um, We are people who are fully known and fully loved at the same time. We have no secrets with God, right? I mean, God knows everything. We're fully known by God and fully loved at the same time. Uh, At the end of uh, 2021, there were 7.9 billion people on the planet at the end of last year. 7.9 billion. No two people alike. You are unique. And God invested a lot to make you who you are. When you know our Father through the gospel, one of the things that happens is comparisons with other people goes away. Because God created you Uh, to be you. And then third, I would say that, uh, you know, the more we let the gospel control our lives, the more we understand that this God, this father of ours, is eternal, not temporal. And when we expand, like ASAP, when we expand our vision, our horizon, our understanding of life into the eternal, all of a sudden there's a whole another realm of reality that uh, comes into our everyday lives. The foreground is connected to the background. And uh, it's eternal. And then the gospel reveals the true character of God. And, uh, you know, God, our God is a, a God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today. You can count on him. He's not going to change his mind about you. 
He's not going to rescind his offer of salvation to you. He's, he's a, a God who can be trusted. He can be depended upon. And uh, I would say that, uh, you know, there's a number of characteristics that we could talk about. All of this to say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, you know, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I graduated, when I got to know God through the gospel, when I got to know my heavenly father uh, on, a, on a graduated level, I put away my childish thinking, and I embraced the God of the gospel, our Father, which art in heaven. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, you're an awesome God, and uh, we're so thankful that we can know you as a Father, that you've qualified us, that you've put your spirit in us, that you've adopted us into your family. And uh, there are so many places in the scriptures that talk about these things. And Father, I pray that you would help us to think of ourselves as sons and daughters of the living God, as uh, partakers of the divine nature. Help us, Heavenly Father, to appreciate what you've done for us in the gospel. Help us to understand how close you've brought us from how far away we were because you love us. And not just for this life, but for all of eternity, you want us to be with you at your table in heaven forever and ever. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.